Yes, I'd like to welcome you to this special edition of Crosscut Maker Podcast. If you've been listening over the past six months, I've pretty much exclusively been doing eschatology updates, and I will continue to do those, Lord willing. Uh, but I felt compelled to interact with this recent incident in Atlanta where a 21-year-old white Southern Baptist went on a killing spree. I believe, as last I saw, he's killed eight people, and then uh, he was headed to do more in Florida before they apprehended him. And, of course, he, looking at his history... You know, of course, that once once people found out that he was a Southern Baptist, then the whole world uh, immediately decided to place all of the blame upon, you know, Baptist churches and Southern Baptist Convention, which obviously is incorrect. Um, you know, each, each person is accountable before the Lord for their own willful sins regardless of your environment, regardless of whether you're in a false religion or regardless of whether you're in a true religion. And, uh, but it's just, I found it intriguing looking at this guy's history and his story where, um, obviously, my first immediate, most true born-again Christians, their immediate response to a, a an alleged, supposed Christian doing something like this would be very likely that this person was not a true Christian. He just was a member of a church, had religious experiences, but this would not be the fruit of something, of somebody who would be indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But it's not completely uh, 100% on that, um, and we'll get into that here in a little bit. But the background that I saw was that he, you know, was grow, he grew up in the church, and then at eight years old he got baptized, but then I guess later on as a teenager he had realized that he was uh, not converted when he was baptized and that happens frequently in the uh, in the Baptist tradition is there is there does seem to be a uh, in my opinion an inappropriate uh, intensity or desire to have children in the Baptist you know of Baptist families uh, baptized almost as early as possible where I always have thought it would be better to err on the side of making sure that they truly get to an age where they can understand that they're sinners and that they truly do believe in Christ, truly do trust in His work, you know, are genuinely repentant and understand the serious nature of their sin. And they're not just doing it to please their parents or because their brother got baptized or because, you know, just for some other wrong motive. And I, that happens a lot. So I always... I always uh, tremble a little bit when I see somebody who's very young getting baptized because I just feel like it's unlikely that they truly understand their sin and that their motivation is is not the proper one for salvation. Uh, but it's you know not the end of the world either. So I don't I don't interject myself into somebody else's business. But uh, anyway, so I guess this happened to him. He was eight, got baptized. But then he you know if if he would have been just somebody who said I was eight. Got baptized, you know, said the, said the sinner's prayer, and then, you know, that's why I'm a Christian, then I'd be a little more suspect. But the, what causes a little more concern that, you know, that he had an understanding of Christianity is that, I, you know, I, I think it was around 16, sometime in his teenage years, he realized that he didn't believe when he got baptized younger. 
typically when that happens, you definitely you you usually do have genuine salvation regeneration because you do. I mean, if you recognize that, that's a recognition that oh wait a minute, I didn't even understand the gospel back then, and that I do now. And so when I heard that about him, I thought, man, that is incredibly unusual, you know, for that to happen in in the a person not be truly saved. But obviously him doing what he did would bear the fruit of somebody who was not converted. And so you have to, uh, sorry about the, I've got a little bit of a cold here. I'm going to try to struggle through this. But, uh, and so my, my thought would be that regardless, if it was a Roman Catholic or if it was a Buddhist or if it was a Hindu, um, you couldn't make the direct connection to somebody who does these kind of violent acts and blame the religion. Again, I'm, as a Christian, I would say Roman Catholicism, false religion, Hinduism, false religion, you know, Buddhism, false religion. So, you know, I understand there's a corruption there. But I wouldn't blame personally that that organization for the sinful acts of an individual. The, the individual, biblically, it's, it's just thorough, very thorough, that everybody is responsible for their own, at, at a certain point, obviously, and then when you're two years old, three years old, you don't have an understanding of what you're doing. You're just kind of acting on your sinful nature that you're born with, but you're not willfully sinning. But it, it comes to a point where you start to make willful decisions for yourself. And, uh, you know, Christian or not, you're accountable for what you do. Now, for a Christian, you know, you know I'll just say this. I would say 99% chance this person was not a Christian not a true Christian. Even though he got baptized at eight, reevaluated things and decided he wasn't he wasn't uh, truly a believer and then he got, you know, so it seemed like that was a further understanding. An act like this, it takes premeditation and it takes uh, something exceptional. That, that, that somebody who is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit of God would not absolutely devastate that person before they would be able to commit this. And not only that, he went to multiple Places. So you, you got, you know, it'd be one thing to, you know, to do it one time, do something this insane one time, and you know, I'm not even saying it's, it's anything but almost almost impossible. The reason I always say almost impossible is because, well, first off, I know my own heart as a Christian. I've done some pretty wicked things as a Christian, and only by God's grace did I not, I could have caused harm to other people with uh, drinking and driving or other things that I was doing that I'd slipped back into where if you would have taken a snapshot of my life at that particular moment, you would have bet your life that I was not a Christian and I sadly truly was. And so I, I know what a backslide can do and lead you to. But again, this is a whole other level of things when you start to talk about walking in a place and, and, and killing people. But even if you would allow for something uh, that, you you know, to do it multiple times, just the odds, in my opinion, decrease that the, uh, that this person would be truly converted. That the Holy Spirit of God would destroy that person, you know, if not physically, but certainly just over what they've done. And the fact that this person could go on multiple locations and, and cold-blooded kill people um, shows me that it's almost almost like almost certain not all not completely but almost certain that he was not truly a christian and so uh regarding that you know when it comes to uh 
somebody, it's a very dangerous position to be religious, legalistic, and not converted. Because then you don't have the Spirit of God within you. You are still depraved. You're still dead in your sins. You are still uh, wicked at heart. And yet now you have some kind of religious constraints on yourself. And and for what we're hearing, that you know everybody's trying. This is a perfect cocktail for the uh, left to point. I mean, every, this is just the perfect scenario for them. Is that you know you have a white man, you know, with a you know gun control. You have a white man going on a kill, you know, shooting spree. So you have gun control in there, and you also have him killing a minority. You know, my Asian. I think they're mostly Asian women. So you have the minority aspect of it. So you have this just perfect uh, left. You know, weapon that they're going to use. I mean, you know, like it's one thing to care about the people who were injured and killed in this, and it's a whole other thing to use it as political means. And that's what's going to happen with it. I think everybody knows that. But from what we're hearing, it wasn't. It's, it doesn't appear to be racially motivated at all. That he actually, you know, claims, and it seems to be believable, that he had a sex addiction and he was uh, trying to remove obstacles from his life. You know. Uh, and of course, the answer to that, there's a call for the Christian to, yes, remove lust and, and sex addiction and pornography or anything else from your life, but you don't do that by going out and killing people. You do that for, by killing the sin in your heart. Because you can kill every, every person on the planet who's involved in any kind of, uh, you know, uh, pornography or sex, you know, provocative things, and you still have your imagination in your own heart to deal with, and you're so the problem is not outside of you when it comes to sin. The problem is primarily within you. And so it appears that he was uh, trying to do, you know, that was his so-called motivation, uh, was to eliminate obstacles to his sexual problems that he was having. Um, but it wasn't uh, racially motivated. Again, only God knows his heart and his motives for what he did. Um, but again, kind of going back to what I said, it's a real dangerous thing to have an unconverted person with some kind of religious legalistic, trying to do some uh, legalistic living with regards to, you know, any kind of sin, including lust and sex addiction. And so, because it just, you're if you're unconverted, you can't battle sin. Like, you, you know, only the Spirit of God, after you've been forgiven, can help you to battle sin, especially when you get yourself entrenched in something as wicked as sex addiction or whatever it is that he was involved in. Those are just enslaving things. Um, and so, so his motivation appeared to be religious in nature. And then, of course, the fact that he was attached to a legitimate church. I mean, the church, the uh, Crab Apple, I think is the name of it. It was a Baptist church, and it was a gospel-preaching church. And, of course, they're going to blame, try and blame them for what he did, which is unbiblical and untrue. They're going to blame... Uh, whatever, uh, you know, and there's already people all over the place blaming uh, his pastor and, you know, the people around him. And ultimately, like I said, accountability for somebody's sin is within is within themselves. It's, it's, he's going to handle that sin on himself. He's not going to be able to pass the buck on whoever else is around him. Nor, the, you know, again, that's what he was trying to do was it appeared blaming the people who were uh, providing these services and things that he found that were enabling his sex addiction. So he was going to blame 
and take out the root of the problem somewhere somewhere else when the problem is within his own heart. And so, uh, but it's just a difficult thing to hear about and to read about. And uh, but, like I said, I you know, Southern Baptist Convention has enough problems of its own, and this is certainly not something that they needed. I'm a Southern Baptist myself. Our church really is more independent than anything, but we are a Southern Baptist church, but it's a voluntary thing. We don't really interact with them except for we support some of their national, you know, ministries like IMB and whatnot. Um, so it's, but just there anytime you see something happen with the Southern Baptist uh, Convention, it, uh, it kind of hits home. But finishing up with this, you know, the aspect of, of is it theoretically even possible for a uh, person who, who would do something like this to be a, a true Christian? And like I said, the shot, the, I sometimes get some blowback on the fact that I'd even open the door for a small possibility of it, and I do. I mean, he might have been a true believer who just, the Lord, for whatever purposes, allowed him to uh, fall into this, you know, the lifestyle that he was living, and then allowed him to further aggravate things by uh, uh, allowing him to carry out something that is so wicked and so evil, you know. Like 99% no, 1% yeah. A couple reasons is Scripture, everybody that God uses in Scripture, God goes out of His way to demonstrate that they're wicked. You know, everybody in the Bible does wicked things. Who God uses, we're talking about saved people here, who God uses. From David and his adultery and murder of Bathsheba's husband and lying and on and on, to Abraham twice, I believe, uh, giving over his wife to another man to protect himself to you know that happened to uh, I think Isaac and Jacob did the same thing and then of course Peter denying Christ three times and then compromising the gospel and then the apostle John who bowing down to worship an angel and so on and on because we even true Christians are still incredibly uh, corruptible it's different Again, when somebody gets truly converted, truly indwelt by the Spirit, there is a change and a radical change. And there is a new heart given. There is a love for holiness and a hatred of sin. But that still doesn't uh, take away the flesh. The unredeemed flesh pulls hard towards sin. And let's just say theoretically that the one half of one percent is true about his name is Aaron Long. That he was a true Christian and he did this. Or how could he come to this point? And the, you know, the idea would be that he, that when you become a Christian, truly believe, all of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. They're all forgiven. And so, uh, every one of my future sins are forgiven, no matter what I do. And so, on a technical level, yes, everything that a true Christian does in the future is is covered. That Christ paid for all of it. As a fact. What comes along with true salvation, though, like I said, is the new heart. The indwelling spirit changes your desire and you begin to be sanctified. So I'm not saying a person can be truly forgiven and then have no change. It's not possible. But, again, you battle against the flesh. But what but you're not saved from, though, is consequences of sin. And this is 
theoretically what could have happened here is, is again with my own personal experience where I was converted and for about five years very very uh, dedicated to the faith very serious about sin I got frustrated with God I started to blame him and then uh, not trusting him I knew I, I trusted him for salvation but I, I, for, I uh, sinfully began to not trust him for the day to day life and that led me to a progressive but a pretty uh, steady backslide to the point where I got really, 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 really wrapped up in a whole lot of stuff again. And then he began to bring the chastening uh, hand into my life, and I was so entrenched in the idols that I got myself entrenched in that I, I just fought further. And then I really, really, the uh, summer of 2015, I just basically said, I'm not praying anymore. I'm not reading the Bible anymore. I'm just going to do my own thing. And then, boy, within six or seven months, I was drinking every day. I was, you know, just doing all the habits I had been saved out of. I was miserable in them and didn't have any enjoyment in them. My life was just horrible. But I knew, and like I said earlier in the broadcast, that that I was drinking every day while I was working. And I was driving. And, I, you know, if I would have done the wrong thing, or if somebody would have, you know, if I could have wrecked into somebody and killed somebody, if you would have taken a snapshot of that moment at that time, you could have said, no way in the world this man is a Christian. And I was. In fact, I was so bitter, I was so uh, dark at that time that I was actually trying not to believe. I was so frustrated with the Lord. Again, this is, I'm, in retrospect, recognizing in, in maybe part of this would be a uh, a warning to people don't do this this is, never works it's always horrible and I've been able to counsel people now where uh, I recognize just the experience of what happens when you do this you don't want to do this you don't want to sinfully distrust the Lord that's the last thing you want to do uh, but regardless you know if by the grace of God I didn't do worse things and but anyway you if something worse would have happened I would have been arrested and publicly shamed I'm sure most people would have the same opinion of me that they would, no way he's a Christian no way he's a Christian, even though I, like I said I was truly, sadly, truly born again just in a real dark backslide so uh, so, you know theoretically with this guy, if, you know if, if, even though all his sins would have been forgiven, if he's a true believer, that he would have chosen to pursue, you know, sexual addiction whatever nature it was that he was doing and God turned him over to it. Again, forgiveness is not the issue. Consequences of it is. You still can become enslaved to idolatry as a Christian. And is it theoretically possible that God allowed him to do that? And then, and then further so, uh, just by his removal of restraint, allowed this person to go on and do these violent acts. Theoretically possible. Again, I you know, very clear. That's about a 1% chance in my mind if I had to put a number on it. A 99% chance we're dealing with an unconverted person here. 1% chance, truly converted, got enslaved, and God didn't restrain him because he has purposes in what he's doing. And uh, so that's it's just a tough thing. So again, as a Christian, you're forgiven all your sins. Everybody, every true Christian is. But you're not saved from the consequences of your sin. So if you go forth willfully sinning, it it affects your life and it affects your heart. And uh, by God's grace, like I said, with with me in particular, He 
squeeze so hard towards the end of 2015 that I finally repented and realized and came to my senses again I was born again already but I was enslaved to so many things that I just, he just made it so horrific for me that I finally repented um, and again whether or not this person was a true Christian or not and I doubt that he was the blame would go upon this person not upon his local church not upon you know the convention not upon whoever his parents or anything else at this point in his life he's 21 years old he had willfully got himself entangled into some form of sexual addiction and his wicked way of trying to get out of that was to hurt other people and again that's my opinion firmly you know to close this out firmly to uh, believe that he was not converted but religious and in, in order for somebody to do something like this you almost would all have to think they'd have to be demonically possessed and to go to these both you know multiple locations and just to do this without without having a, being able to do that without your conscience just crushing you even if you're not born again this is a human being to be able to do this you have to have a really hardened conscience a really seared conscience but like I said, it, you know, typically in my mind that when somebody gets to this point, they're demonically possessed. And obviously, uh, you cannot be, if you're born again, you will not be, you cannot be possessed by a demon. Because the Holy Spirit indwells you, you he does not going to co-dwell with a demon. And so, all in all, this is just to say that, uh, of course, the, 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 the uh, catastrophe of, of this is... The, the primary concern, and you you have the death of human beings, and you have you know, eternal destinations being decided. Which, will, before I close, I'll just address one more thought that came into my head. And a lot of people, a lot of times, people will address this. Um, one question that okay, let's you know, let's theoretically say that um, that he was born again, and these eight women who were killed were not born again and so you th the, the question obviously would be how could it possibly be fair that you have somebody who's right with God who's on their way to heaven be uh, end up sending you know let's say these eight people are unconverted you know him killing them and then they go to hell and then he gets to end up going to heaven how is that even possible that's a valid question to think through. Um, again, just I'm going to say time and time again, I don't think he was a Christian, but let's just say theoretically the one half, one percent, I'm going to keep lowering the percentage because just I think it's almost impossible, but not quite impossible. Let's just say theoretically though that he was, truly was a Christian. God turned him over to his backslide consequences, led him down a road, and he had purposes in that, and that he um, how could it be fair that the, the women or the people that he killed went end up in judgment? And what you have to understand from a biblical perspective is that every single person on this planet who is willfully sinned against God even just one time, let alone, you know, living a life of sin, is subject to his judgment. And, and, he, and every breath they take is only by grace. And the fact that they're not in hell already is an act of grace.
that's a tough pill to swallow for any unbeliever, but even some Christians would say, wow, that's pretty tough, but that's just the biblical teaching is that, you know, our, the wages of our willful sin is eternal death. And when a person does, begins to do that, then they are subject to that. And, if, and if in this particular situation, that if, again, I'm not knowing all the details of the people who were killed or anything like their ages or their religions or anything like that. But there's, and I don't even know the, you know, in depth as to what their occupations were, you know, about the spa thing and all that. So it's just assuming that these people were involved in some kind of sexual thing and they were they were unconverted and uh, and they were killed by this man then again from God's perspective he uh, can providentially uh, end a person's life any way he wants to and and, and he so there and he's under no obligation to allow that person to have one more breath and not to have them condemned to eternity in hell for their willful sins and so again, back to our our real life. I want to say example because it's a real life situation we're dealing with. Where if again, this is all a lot of hypothetical, theoretical. Is that if he was converted and these eight people were not converted, then then God, in His sovereign privilege, could theoretically use this person to end these eight people's lives. And again, it, we have to go back to is that these eight people. Again, just assuming they're unconverted, assuming they're involved in sexual things and things like that. If that's the case, then God could use the sinful action of this man to execute righteous judgment on these other eight people. I hope that makes sense. That the action of the man was horrific and sinful. There's consequences there. Whether he is or very likely is not a Christian, he will be held to account for that in his own time. But, but he can use the sinful actions of a, of a sinful man to execute righteous judgment on eight other sinful people. And that would not violate God's righteousness or judgment at all. And so I hope that helps with that. Um, you just, you just, if you understand that every last person on this planet who comes to a point, not an age, but to a point where they will begin to willfully sin against God, that, that subjugates them to his judgment and again we don't have any idea how merciful it is for God to let people to continue living physically after they begin to rebel against him we don't know the sinfulness of sin I've read papers and done some lessons on why is hell eternal because a lot of people struggle with that point why is hell eternal and one of the reasons there's many reasons but one of the reasons is we have no idea how wicked sin really is because we are even Christians are still corrupted by it and deluded in it and fogged by it and we don't have any idea and an unbeliever is completely buried in it completely blinded by it and so it's it, you can't make an evaluation of how wicked sin is as a sinner it's impossible as much as I like to and I do by God's grace I understand wickedness of sin a lot more than I used to I would not want him to strip away everything and show me exactly my sin for even this morning. I think I would, I would not be able to handle it emotionally. I know that now. Because there's been times in my life where as chastening and discipline where he does expose me when I get prideful. A lot of times the Lord will just show me what I'm doing. And I'm like, okay. I'm, I'm going to handle this. Might not change my opinion on something. 
but I had a little with a little more humility than I have been because God has reminded me of exactly how sinful that I still am myself. So I hope that helps with that. You know, it just again, it's it's uh, you know, that's just a theoretical that he is assuming that he would be a, a true Christian. How is that possible? Well, again, if he were a true Christian and God used his simple backslidden decisions to to uh, just, you know do his execute his righteous judgment on the eight other people. That still would mean, even as, you know, again, that person, he would, uh, you know, Aaron Long would end in glory if he truly is a believer. Because you're, again, all your past, present, future sins are forgiven. Their Christ was treated as if he committed them. Yet his life is obviously, you know, the consequence, the temporal consequences of an action like that would be devastating to a Christian. Devastating. But like I said, the fact that he. Uh, hasn't shown no uh, overwhelming brokenness over this uh, shows me again that this very likely was almost certainly was a person who was a religious person who was lost not a true convert not a true believer in Christ and he uh, he just manifested the fruits of a lost depraved person in doing what he did and in that case his heart is further hardened which the proper response for me as a Christian is to pray for his salvation because I don't want this man to be condemned I don't, you know, no matter what he's just done but to uh, but to realize that you know, sin like that hardens the heart and outside of his conversion he's going to be held to really uh, every single uh, damnation real quick on a side note Eternal. Anybody who's lost, who does not repent and come to faith in Christ, they go to hell. Okay, that's a fact. People who die in their sin and in their unbelief, they'll be judged according to their works. So, at one sin, one little white lie would condemn a person to all of eternity in hell. That's a fact. It's a biblical fact. But what's also taught clearly in Scripture is that there are degrees of punishment in hell. That there are intensities to it. Now, you wouldn't want to be the person in hell with the least amount of sins. You wouldn't want to be that person because it's still hell and it's still horrific and it's still eternal torment. But you'd much rather be that person than the person who's sinned one more time than that or the person who's been sinned one more time than that. The degrees of intensity there uh, will be such a an increase there. And then, of course, somebody who, who does this, who would murder eight people who die of their sins, that their torment uh, you know, would be much higher than the people that he killed. Assuming, you know, again, I don't know everybody's heart and everybody's life and all that, of course, but I'm saying just on a, on a scale, on a, just looking at what you know, that, you know, if he were to, if he was unconverted, died his sins, then his degree of torment for the eight murders would be drastically increased over the people he killed or, or over the average person, I guess you could say, who dies in their sins. But again, dying in your sins in any form or fashion is not something that you want to happen to you. And so this has been a kind of off-the-beaten-path podcast, and I probably will have another eschatology one coming soon because there has been quite a significant significant events happening on the Third Temple, and uh, that is really one of the primary pieces of eschatology is, is the Third Temple. And I mean, that is what's one thing for Israel. I've heard it said, I heard it said the other day, what was it, that... Uh, that Israel, the nation of Israel being reborn is the hour hand, or the, yeah, the hour hand, um, something else is the minute hand, 
I can't remember what it was, and then the second hand of eschatology is the third temple. And you see, you start to see the third temple. Uh, if you start to see it being built, you know, just physically being built, then either the tribulation period has already begun with a seven-year peace agreement, or it's darn near about to happen. And we're seeing some significant shifts in the in the thinking of the moderate Arabs in uh, in how they view the third temple and the Temple Mount, which is really, I mean, if you're paying attention to eschatology, you know what I'm talking about over the past four or five days. So I'm probably going to be doing another eschatology broadcast or podcast before. I've been doing them like every three weeks to a month because I'm just kind of letting them go. But I'll probably be doing one sooner than later, sooner than that, but I don't know. I just kind of let stuff pile up and then, and then I do it when I can. So I hope this has been helpful. Just a brief discussion. You know, I'm, I'm a nobody, but uh, I just thought last night when I was reading through this that it's worth addressing a little bit. And I pray it's been helpful to you. But I always pray, I always close the podcast with the gospel presentation uh, because it is the only way that you can have your sins forgiven. It's the only way that you can be reconciled to the true God. And if you do believe the gospel, if you do repent and believe the gospel, you know you're forgiven. You have a relationship with the Lord. It's, it's no... It's not a, a question of, oh, maybe I hope I have my sins forgiven. So it, salvation is even better than the forgiveness of sins. As wonderful and as incredible as that is, it's about having a relationship with the Lord. So uh, I always close with a 30-second biblical gospel presentation. One day we will all face the one true and living holy God. You need to have your sins forgiven and be reconciled to Him before that occurs. It only happens biblically by repentance, as a confession of your sinfulness and hopelessness from your heart to God. So it's a brokenness over your sin. Inward brokenness over your sin. You go from loving sin to hating sin. And faith. Believe into faith, believing the gospel. That is the person and work of Jesus Christ. The person, he's true. You gotta believe he's truly man and he's truly God. And trusting his work, and you trust only in his redemptive work. His redemptive work is he lived without sin. He died on a cross for the sins of sinners, and he was raised from the dead for your salvation. And so you see the, cor- the correlation there with faith in the gospel and repentance. That if you believe the gospel, if you truly trust only in the work of Christ, then you know that the, re- the only reason, the only way you can do that is if you know that you have nothing to offer, zero, absolutely nothing to offer spiritually before God, because you don't, and nobody does. If you genuinely do this, you will be instantly and permanently covered by the righteousness of Christ, and he will have been treated as if he committed all of your past, present, and future sins while on the cross. If you refuse the offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ, you will be judged according to your works, and unless you have lived without even one sin like Christ, will end in eternal conscious condemnation. Again, that goes to the what we talked about earlier, is that one sin before a holy God is damnable. That's how righteous he is. But of course, no one has ever lived with one sin of thought, word, or deed. It's uncountable, the sins that we live in. And before you get converted, that's pretty much all you do. Even the good things that you do, you do for your own glory, which is sinful. And it's a sinful, it's for pride. And so everything is tainted completely by sin. And so... If, when, if you really come to a point where you understand the biblical standard, you would have no choice to but to flee to Christ. But what false religion tries to do is dumb down 
the qualifications and the holiness of God and trying to make you feel, well, you know, you're not that bad. You just need to do this. You just need to do that. You need to get baptized. You need to, you need to obey the law. You need to, uh, you know, do these ceremonies. You need to give this amount of money. You need to go to this priest and confess. You know, this, this, that, on and on and on. And and that any false religion is void of salvational repentance. And then again, that's that brokenness over your sin that God only can grant to you. So I pray that you would ask Him to have mercy upon you because if you don't then one day you will be evaluated according to your works but thank you for your time and until next time may christ be known